I'm Jenny Carlson. I'm Barry Trammell. Welcome to the Jenny and Barry Show. The transfer portal is open and Ollie Gordon is still a cowboy. Early signing day is coming on Wednesday and OU is looking to sign another high-ranking class. And the Thunder, holy cow, the Thunder, they are not messing around. We're going to talk about all of that and more, but before we do, we want to thank these sponsors for supporting the Jenny and Barry Show. The Oklahoma Ford Dealers Association, MidFirst Bank, NextGen Roofing, Two Fellas Movers, the National Cowboy and Western Heritage Museum, 988, Oklahoma's Mental Health Lifeline. Drive into your best in Oklahoma Ford dealers today for the best deals on Ford's full lineup of trucks and SUVs. Ford is the best in Oklahoma. And hey, let's face it, a box of pizza and a case of beer just don't work like they used to when you're trying to move. Nobody wants to help you. But we know two fellas that love moving. At Two Fellas Moving Company, we offer, offer free, no-strings quotes for your move. With more than 20 years' experience, we've pretty much moved it all. Our services don't end at moving either. Need to do some remodeling or spring cleaning? We have you covered with dumpster rentals and junk haul services. Remember, quotes are free and there are no strings attached. If you're moving in Oklahoma, make sure to call the fellas. Visit twofellas.com for your free quote today. All right, Barry, let's start with the guy up in Stillwater. Everybody is watching, waiting. Ollie Gordon, the watch continues. Barry, you were there late last week when the OSU running back talked to, to members of the media, said he wanted to make an announcement on his own timeline. What did you make of all of, of what you saw and heard out of Ollie Gordon? Well, it sounds like that Ollie just wants to sort of do a big splash I mean, all signs are pointing to him returning to Stillwater. These days, not a lot of guys play in the bowl game and then enter the portal. So, you know, he, it looks like he's playing in Houston, been practicing, uh, still the same gregarious guy. So it sounds like all systems are grow for OSU, but that Ollie wants to just uh, sort of make his own uh, provocative splash. Don't know when, don't know where, don't know how. But I, I would remain optimistic if I, was, uh, if I was an OSU fan. However, you never know. You never know. So, I mean, that's, that's sort of the problem with, uh, with the portal, right? Mike Gundy talked about that, that, you know, roster management is a constant thing, and you got to stay on top of it. And so until, until uh, Ollie Gordon is uh, signed, sealed, and delivered, and frankly, that's not probably until June because a guy can go back in, you know, late spring into the portal. Yeah. So yeah. fingers crossed, but I think it's positive for the Cowboys for now. Yeah, it sure sounds that way. You know, I, I'm, I'm with you on the whole fact that, you know, he's, he's practicing. He looks like he's going to play in the bowl. I mean, if you're a running back and you're thinking you're going to transfer to me, it's one of those things that you're not going to put your body, your legs, your knees, all the important things that running backs only have so many miles on. You're not going to put those on the line uh, in a bowl game for a team that you're leaving. I think that's a, I think that's definitely a positive for Ollie Gordon and for the Cowboys to think that he's, he wants to play in the bowl. I think that means he'll stay. You know, like you said, Barry, the how and the when, I don't know, but I think we talked about this at one point previously. It seems like to me that they could do some sort of big splash announcement uh, on campus. I mean, we've seen them do it before. I don't know who it would be besides Ollie Gordon. Maybe they get an answer on Alan Bowman and they have some sort of uh, bigger announcement. I don't know. But, I mean, couldn't you see Ollie Gordon standing in the student union or somewhere on campus and a, a big old pep rally happening and as he announces he's coming back? Yeah, now the only problem with that is the students are now gone. 
Yeah. Uh, they won't be back until, uh, you know, second, maybe even the third week of January. So uh, the more problems with calendar, right, in college football. Even when you want to do something cool like this, it's the wrong time to do it. But, yeah, I remember uh, Marcus Smart. That's where Marcus Smart and Markel Brown made that decision. Uh, the student union seemed like, did Whedon and Blackman do that also in the union, if I remember right? No, but right? The, the, the Chuba Hubbard group did. That's right. Okay, there you go. So, yeah, that's been a cool place to do it. And, you know, they got the three levels of the union and people looking over the uh, the railing and, and big mob, uh, flash mob down on the uh, floor. But you know, the students are gone, so I don't know. Um, it's just a case of Ollie probably has himself a plan. He seems to be uh, in tune with marketing, so I think it's a, I think it's a good sign. But until he does, man, you know, Mike Gundy talked about contracts and trying to bring some, some uh, order to this chaos, and that's part of it because – uh, let's say some at some point between now and May or June, Ollie Gordon changes his mind. Cowboys are wiped out at tailback. You know, you got Jaden Nixon in the portal. Yep. Elijah Collins was a senior. He's out of eligibility. Cowboys don't have uh, don't have much going there besides Ollie Gordon. And you, it's hard to get somebody to come in and, and say, uh, you know, I'll play behind Ollie Gordon. So, um, you know, they're they're depending on Ollie at this point. No doubt about it. Yeah, and you're right. And the timing, we just don't know. Even if there is an announcement, you know, whether it's something big on campus or something big on social media, we don't know. I mean, guys can always change their mind, and Ollie Gordon could change his mind. Um, he seems like a guy that, you know, he he talked uh, late in the year about Texas not uh, recruiting him heavily when he was in high school, not not coming in until late. He seems like a guy that maybe has kept score on some of that stuff. So the whole idea that you know, some of these schools that said no thanks when he's a high school uh, standout uh, down at Euless Trinity. Now they're saying, yeah, yeah, we want you. We want you. I, it seems like that might rub him the wrong way. Now, does that mean he doesn't go? I'm not saying that. But I just think it's an interesting dynamic that uh, could be playing out in his mind as all of this uh, is happening. Uh, but big picture, Barry, when you look at Oklahoma State, it's been pretty quiet portal wise, really both ways. I mean, uh, you know, not a lot of movement out, not a lot of movement in just yet. And OSU is only expected to sign 15 guys on early signing day on Wednesday. Um, it seems like they're, I mean, it largely as you think about what's coming next season, a lot of the same guys are going to be uh, depended on. What's your sense just kind of overall as we point towards the bowl, point towards next season, just as you think about the overall makeup of the roster in Stillwater. Yeah, I don't know if this is a good sign or if this just is a natural progression to the mean. Last year, the Cowboys got wiped out in the portal. Not so much quantity, but quality with eight starters going in the portal. And you, you wondered if it was anarchy, if it was mutiny on the bounty. You didn't know what was going on. But uh, it appears that it was just sort of happenstance. and. Now, relatively calm waters, pretty uh, pretty calm sea. So maybe, you know, that's just what goes around, comes around. If the Cowboys can bring most of these people back, you know, most of the offensive linemen has declared, hey, we're coming back. And if, if that happens, then the Cowboys are going to have uncommon stability in this age, this era. And that certainly pretends well for 2024 in the new look Big 12. So I think it's I think it's a very good sign what we've seen. 
But again, Mike Gundy, you know, last on on uh, I think it was Thursday we were up there. You know, any question about the portal, good or bad, and a lot of it was good questions, you know, positive questions. Hey, nobody's coming back, blah, blah, blah. Mike Gundy said, religion, politics, portal, roster. Not touching any of them with a 10-foot pole. Well, um, you know, he, he actually did offer some insights eventually, but what he was really saying was, none of this is stable. None of this is for sure. You know, on, in August, we'll, we'll know who's on the roster, but until then, everything is fluid. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think when you when you see the guys that were lost in the portal a year ago and who they brought in, they brought in a fairly large group of guys that really were on a limited amount of eligibility left. You know, you think about, um, you know, Leon Johnson, the third, who I think they may try to get an extra year for, but seems unlikely, Um, you know, various guys that really only had the one season left before they were out of eligibility. So does OSU feel like it's got young enough players coming through the pipeline to, you know, fill the needs there? Are they going to need to go into the portal to try to, to, to buoy some areas? I think I'm thinking defensive line, especially might be an area where when you look at natural uh, eligibility graduation, but also guys that came out of the portal that were short timers, that might be an area they need to go back into the portal to get more guys out of. You know, that's just, the, but that's just the way it goes right now, Barry. I mean, that that's really the reality of things. Even teams that aren't losing a lot in the portal may need to go into the portal because they know the teams that they're playing are likely to have, you know, experienced older guys that they get out of the portal. So to match them, don't you almost have to get in there yourself, even if you aren't losing a lot into the portal? Yeah, you, you always want to hit the portal, even uh, not just to replenish what you've lost, but to gain an advantage. That's what you're saying. And here's the way to look at it. And, you know, if you're a Thunder fan and have followed Sam Presti, um, he, he, he's very instructive on some of this stuff because when he talks about the draft and draft picks and those things, um, there, you know, he mentions there's three ways to get players. Get it through the draft. Get it through free agency. Get it through trade. That's the way you get players. And he always worries about rules that want to limit, say, the lottery or any of that. It's because he says that inhibits our ability for one of these channels to get talent. Well, in college football, the portal is uh, has become a massive, massive way to get talent, right? In the old days, it was signed high school players uh, and now and a few transfers. Now it's it's widespread transfers, and a team that doesn't take advantage of the portal is probably getting behind, even if it's not losing guys in the portal, because it's just a new avenue to get talent acquisition. And OSU last year proved that it can find diamonds in the rough. You mentioned Leon Johnson, George Fox University, or uh, Kim, it was it George Fox from Leon Johnson University? That's a joke <laughs> I will never get tired of saying. But anyway. Uh, you know, the, the, the offensive lineman Dalton Cooper from Texas State, uh, they get um, just uh, players from all over. The, the kids from Tulsa, right and good low, really helped fortify the defense. So they've, you know, they go places that maybe not the marquee, uh, the marquee uh, programs, but they found good players in the portal that have really helped. Alan Bowman, a third string quarterback at Michigan, in many ways saved the season. So you, you always have to look to the portal. Look to the portal, as Jerry Seinfeld would say. 
<laughs> well, let's uh, let, let's talk about what the uh, OU Sooners are doing with the portal and with with signing day, Barry. Unlike OSU signing a, a smallish class on Wednesday, OU looking to sign 28 on Wednesday. High school uh, recruits. One of the best classes in the entire nation, a top 10 class that could rise higher as, as uh, signing day gets closer. Some uh, five stars, lots of four stars. I mean, I think I looked uh, today and Oklahoma has as many four and five stars combined as any team not named Georgia in this in this recruiting class. So a great recruiting class by Brent Venables and his guys. Uh, is there a player, a name you've seen in this uh, in this recruiting class that maybe you're excited to uh, to see as a Sooner, maybe even as early as uh, spring ball or even next season? Yeah, I mean, I always, in, in this day and age, quarterback depth is gone for almost everybody. Yeah. So I think Michael Hawkins is is huge for the Sooners. Uh, look at Jackson Arnold. He came in last year, clearly going to be a backup to Dylan Gabriel. But what happens? At Brigham Young, Gabriel's out, tight game. He's got to play in a crucial game. Next week, San Antonio, they're playing the Alamo Bowl. Jackson Arnold's the quarterback. It can happen. So Michael Hawkins needs to be ready to play. And in this, and you know, nobody's going to have nobody's going to have quality backup veteran, quality backup quarterback. Often it's going to be very rare, and the Sooners are, are not the exception. So he's the guy you have to look for. Uh, Brent Venables made a great point the other day, though. Uh, Brent said, among the top twenty teams in America, his true freshman this year played more snaps than anyone. So yeah. uh, Brent is selling the idea that the Sooners play freshmen, the Sooners rely on freshmen, the Sooners are going to are going to give freshmen every opportunity. So a lot of these guys. Uh, perhaps even some of these def- defensive linemen, David Stone and that crowd, are yeah. really going to be uh, given the chance to to get in and play immediately. So uh, it could be it could be just about any of them. Uh, the kid down at uh, Longview, Texas, the uh, the tailback, he's you know going to be a fabulous player. It sounds like so. I think I think we're going to see a bunch of these guys, but at, the quarterback is going to be the most. Uh, the most vulnerable position for the Sooners in a place where they really need depth. Yeah, I think uh, Hawkins is definitely one to be excited to see. I am excited to see David Stone. I mean, obviously, he's a, he's an Oklahoman from Dell City, went to IMG Academy, now coming back to play in his home state, going to OU, defensive tackle, five-star guy. And, you know, you mentioned those freshman, Barry, guys like Caden Green getting onto the field on the line. You know, it's one thing for a Peyton Bowen, to play in that defensive secondary or, you know, guys that are, are playing skill positions. When you start talking about linemen getting a chance to play as true freshmen, we didn't even, you know, we didn't even see uh, uh, Gerald McCoy uh, play as a, a true freshman. Or was it Tommy Harris? One of the two. One of those two defensive linemen did not play as a true freshman Gerald. at OU. Jared, Jared. Okay. Yeah. So it doesn't happen all the time. So if David Stone's able to get on the field next year on that defensive line, I'm really curious to see what he looks like. You mentioned uh, Taylor Tatum, the, the running back down from Longview, another five-star guy. Considering what the Sooners had and didn't have in the running game this year, you know, Gavin Sawchuck seems to have solidified himself as the guy in the backfield. They lost several players into the portal. Could Tatum be a guy that gets that gets some serious carries as a freshman? I think it's possible. Local guy, I'm curious to see what he looks like thinking of running backs is Xavier Robinson. I've been a huge Xavier Robinson fan for several years. I love his style. I love his strength. 
He's a guy that is is looks like he is a SEC running back, Barry. He's big. He's strong. Does he play a true running back position? They're going to give him that chance, but he told me they're also interested in maybe some other type of options with him, something that looks maybe like a Braden Willis, which I think Sooner fans could get excited about another Braden Willis. So I'm curious to see how several of those guys fit in. Because I think, Barry, when you look at the talent in this class, you know, I think we could see a lot of these guys playing as freshmen. Yeah, and uh, I, I think you're right. I think that's if, if you're a program like the Sooners that recruit at a very high level and are not a developmental program so much, uh, as opposed to, say, OSU, Iowa State, K-State, then your guys are re- more ready-made to play. So uh, I think what we've seen is, is Venables has, has been uh, – he's been uh, quick to, to play him. He doesn't really think about keeping him uh, sitting around. So uh, I, I'm, I'm anxious to see Taylor Tatum. You know, tailbacks, uh, Sooners go through a bunch of them in a year. Uh, played three or four this past – or not three or four, four – extensively yeah. this past season gave four at least a, a good chance to play so uh OU's been a little bit wiped out Walker in the portal um Marcus Major in the portal so uh I think I think that's another place and uh I just I think freshmen are going to have to supplement the the truth about college football Jacko is this the the talent has been has been evened out in yeah. terms of uh, people don't cluster a bunch of great players anymore. If you if you're a backup linebacker at Georgia or you're a, a backup safety at Washington uh, behind really good players, you know what? You can go someplace and play. You can go someplace good and play. Yeah. So depth is always going to be a concern, and I think the Sooners will face some of those issues, and therefore they have to replenish with with the freshman class and. The risk you face is some of those guys could show some talent, remain backups after next season, and then say, I'm going to go someplace myself and play. That's just the nature of the game that we see today. Yeah, for sure. One other area that I'm curious about this incoming class is the receiver group. Several receivers that are very highly thought of in this class of freshmen. Uh, Emmett uh, Jones doing a heck of a job out recruiting that position you know, they, 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 they're not bad at receiver. They're obviously losing Drake Stoops, who's run out of eligibility. Uh, you know, so they're going to have to fill some spots in the receiver group. But I'm curious how good this group of freshman receivers is quickly. Can they get on the field? Can they produce? Um, those sorts of things, which, you know, we won't start getting answers to that for a little bit. But, um, you know, we are going to get some answers to at least one young Sooner, that being Jackson Arnold, as the Sooners get ready for this bowl game, Barry. And, I know people are excited to see Arnold, but anybody else, anything else as, you know, this, we, we've talked about this, the Sooner team has really kind of started to turn towards the 2024 season roster wise. Who piques your interest for this, uh, this Alamo Bowl appearance uh, beyond Jackson Arnold and how he performs for the Sooners? You know, guy I'm looking at is Javante Barnes. Um, and he's been banged up. I don't know if he's been in the doghouse, but it's certainly there's some clues that he has. He just hadn't played as much. Uh, Gavin Sawchuck emerged late as the as the guy at tailback earlier. It's Tawi Walker, Marcus Major. Barnes didn't get a lot of uh, he didn't get a lot of run at tailback, but we saw him late last year, particularly in the bowl game against Florida State. Did a wonderful job. Looked like a big time talent. Yeah, it appears he's going to get a shot against Arizona. 
And I'm so I'm going to keep my eye on him. If he if he produces the way he did in the bowl game a year ago, it lo- it would certainly appear that the Sooners have a one-two punch at tailback going into 2024. Yeah, I'm also going to be looking on the offensive side of the ball. I'm curious about this offensive line. They lost several guys who've declared for the NFL, some other guys that are in the transfer portal. They did uh, get, I think it's really important that uh, Walter Rouse and McCade Matower, who are out of eligibility but uh, decided to play in this game, had they decided to opt out to get ready for the NFL that would have left that offensive line extremely thin on experience. So for them to be playing, it's great, but it also gives some young guys that we really haven't had a chance to see as much a chance to get out there and play. I do think it'll be a little ragtag. Offensive line is one of those one of those groups that takes a while to get their chemistry down, to get um, you know sort of figured out how they're going to work together. This bowl practice schedule condensed enough that. It's not like a game week. You got more than than four or five practices to get ready, but still not a ton of time for them to sort of figure out who's playing where, how they're playing. But we are going to get to see some young guys and how do they perform? What do they look like? What does Oklahoma have? They seem to like a lot of these younger guys when they came in as recruits. So what do they look like now after they've been working behind the scenes now that they're coming out into the light? Um, you know, what, how do they perform? And especially because, you know, a lot of eyes will be on Jackson Arnold. How, how do they protect him? What do they do? How does that look uh, against Arizona? A team that has been really, really good this year. So I'm curious to see um, what that looks like. Hey, Barry, we're about 20 minutes into the show, and we are just getting around to talking about the Thunder. How is that possible? Because these guys probably deserve better. Because now they're they're beating the defending champs on their home court, Barry. A huge win against Denver. This team just keeps sort of surprising us. Or maybe it doesn't. Does that surprise you that they went went to Denver and won that game? It did surprise me because it's such a bad matchup in theory. Um, Of course, Denver's a bad matchup for everyone because of Jokic. (laughs) But the Thunder is not particularly, uh, you know, built to uh, withstand an interior assault. However, Chad Holmgren just keeps uh, surprising and surprising. He's actually been in a a several-week slump, not nailing the threes the way he did earlier in the year, Um, had some frustrating games. But let me tell you, he stood tall in Denver. Nine block shots, lamented one that got away, almost uh, got a block on a dunk that uh, would have given him 10 and a triple-double. Um, his ability to protect the rim was so instrumental in that game and gives that's what that's what Sam Presti was talking about when he when he uh, found uh, or when he found out that he'd get the number two pick and was praying for Chet Holmgren a guy who can stretch the floor and protect the rim is exactly what the Thunder needed they're putting it to use you know I, I think they're 16 and 8 going into Monday night so you know it's just a It's just a great start. Number two in the West. I don't know if they can keep that up, but they're clearly uh, a playoff team, clearly a major favorite to avoid the the, uh, play in. This is a a, uh, first round uh, home home court advantage team. And the whole league is talking about the Thunder. And it's just, it's been a great start. And SGA is fantastic. Santa Clara Williams snapped out of a slump and really came on strong in, in the Denver game. So I just, it, everything is fantastic, and it's just much better than we could have hoped for. And just you know, two years in the wilderness was all it took to get the Thunder back into uh, 
into the tall grass of the NBA. Yeah, which is unbelievable. You know, most uh, rebuilds take a whole lot longer than that. So the fact that, you know, we now find ourselves in Oklahoma City watching a team that, you know, pretty, pretty likely to be a playoff team. And like you said, may even have home court advantage for the first round. Unbelievable stuff. You know, it feels like to me that Chet Holmgren is, I don't know if you can pull away from Victor Wimbanyama in the, in the rookie of the year race, but feels like he's putting some distance between himself and Wimbanyama, which, you know, I didn't think, you know, here we sit before the first of the year, I didn't think that would be possible. Now it's not to say it's over because there's a lot more basketball to be played, but Seems like he's making some serious headway, Chet Holmgren is, and, and Rookie of the Year. And Barry, we talked before the season started, I think, about SGA and whether, you know, is there a chance after being first-team All-NBA last year, maybe he falls back. You know, that's a, such a small group to be a part of. Wondered if he could do that. Now, he looks like an MVP candidate. I mean, it, in your mind, how realistic is that? There seem like there are guys that are sort of always talked about um, whether it's Embiid or Jokic or whoever you want to, there's three or four guys that tend to be MVP candidates and it goes to one of them. Can SGA realistically make a, a run at league MVP? Yes, he can. And it's almost entirely dependent upon the Thunder itself, the team. The great thing about Shea Gilgis Alexander is you know exactly what you're getting every night. Exactly. Uh, a bad game for Shea is 31 points on 9 of 20 shooting. That's yeah. a bad game. I mean, he doesn't really – the first game against Denver, he was 2 of 16, I think it was, or 2 of 14. So he's had like one or two bad games. You know what you're getting with this guy. The question is, can the Thunder maintain this 667 winning percentage? Can they stay in the top three of the West? MVPs rarely come from below the top three of a conference. Russell Westbrook did it in 2017. There was much wailing and gnashing of teeth over that selection. The Thunder finished fifth in the West that year. But it's probably not going to happen again. If, if the Thunder can stay in the top three of the West, then, yeah, he's got a really good chance because um, Jok there'll be a lot of support for Jokic, and Denver's going to be up there. Uh, be a lot of support, a lot of support for Giannis, yep. um, but and Joel Embiid has been fantastic, but Shea has sort of emerged as the leading contender uh, below six foot eleven. You know, he's uh, <laughs> outside of those big three, he's sort of stolen the mantle from the Jason Tatum's and uh, and those kinds of people. So, uh, I, if the Thunder can keep winning, if they get into the fifty wins range 54 wins 53 wins goodness wow. yeah he's got a shot at it I think he does you know the thing about him that is I'm always sort of in awe of is how easy he makes it look so often you know and it's not to say that you know Giannis doesn't make some things make easy it look easy Jokic uh, Embiid whoever you want to say I mean there are lots of players in the league that that do but some of the high degree of difficulty shots that that guy makes some of the defensive, uh, you know, plays that he makes, he just always makes it look so effortless. And you know it's not, but that that effortlessness and the efficiency, which you hit on, Barry, I think are the two things that if you pair it with a team that is in the top half of, of the uh, West, I think Shea's got a great chance. I mean, I, I just think he's going to be in that mix, and it's going to be fun to see. But like you said, 
Thunder success is so important on this. Obviously, Shea's part of it. Obviously, young guys playing at a high level are part of it. But how is it that here we sit late in December and this team is where they are? I mean, like I said earlier, rebuilds don't usually take just two years. We don't see this happen very often. What's the what's the why behind the jump in your mind? Well, here's here's sort of the, one of the secrets of this is the Thunder, Sam Presti's ability to collect a lot of valuable depth. You look at Isaiah Joe, who they got yeah. off the scrap heap, and what an indispensable player he's turned into be. A sixth man of the year candidate. He made the play of the game, I thought, on uh, Saturday tip. night. Yeah, that, you know, late in the game, they're up one. Uh, Denver's up one, shooting with uh, 10 seconds left. And Joe uh, leaps for the rebound and keeps it alive and, and gets the ball to Shea. And that's, you know, he's sort of billed as a, just a, a sharpshooter, mm-hmm. single, uh, single dimension type player. But no, he's doing all kinds of things. Uh, Aaron Wiggins, second round draft pick, is so, a, sort of a jack of all trades. Uh, helping out Arkansas Williams has been a solid backup center, second round pick. So they found a lot of depth without spending a lot of money or uh, uh, draft capital or much of anything. So that's the key is this is a deep team. You know, Mark Dagnall goes 10 or 11 deep most nights. And if somebody's not playing well, he can go another another direction. So uh, that to me has been the key. Starting lineup has been fine, even with Josh Giddy's um, problems. That's the that's the scary thing for the NBA. What if the what if the Thunder fixes that? What if they either make a change in the starting lineup, or what if if Giddy snaps out of his his malaise? So mm-hmm. you know, it's not like the Thunder has plateaued. It's not like they're maximum uh, maximizing all of their their potential. They could actually get a lot better if Josh Giddy mm-hmm. plays like the Josh Giddy of a year ago. Thunder's going to take another step. So uh, lots to like, lots to like about this Thunder start. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, lots of guys playing really well. I, you know, I have to admit watching, I, I think it was the most recent Warriors game, uh, watching the Thunder play the Warriors. You know, I, just the way that they're, I mean, they're still obviously so young. They're very athletic. And just to watch the way that they were playing, you almost got the feeling like, was sort of hearkening back to early years of, you know, Thunder 1.0 when you're when you've got Durant and Westbrook and Harden and and Baca and that group that, you know, they were just so they wore teams out, I think. They were just so athletic that they just came at you in waves. And obviously this is a different team. They offensively play differently, they defensively play differently, but I think that sort of all out youthful athletic exuberance that so often really wore teams down when that first go around of the thunder was there. I think we were starting to sort of get that. I, I got that sense from the warriors. It was like, Oh, good grief. They're, you know, they're still, they're still running. They're still out, you know, on the break. They're still able to get back on defense. You know, just that, that youthfulness of, uh, you know, 21, 22 year old legs as opposed to 30 year old legs. It's, it's really, you can see the difference. And I think that's where, I mean, obviously the Thunder's got very talented players, but some of that youth, I think is also, it's reminiscent of those early Thunder days. Yeah, it is. Um, this team is not quite as, uh, loaded at the top. You know, I I don't know that Shea Gilgis-Alexander is a transcendent talent, 
like Kevin Durant. I don't know that whoever his best sidekick is, whether it's Holmgren or Santa Clara, whoever you want to pick, you know, is not Russell Westbrook. But the idea of a bunch of these young guys coming in close together and rising is very similar. Uh, the the switchover from I think uh, the Thunder in the old days went from 27 to 50 wins, or was it 23 wins? 23 wins 23, to yeah. 50 wins yeah. in back-to-back. Uh, Thunder's not made that dramatic of a of a, a jump, but it's been pretty dramatic the last couple of years. So, yeah, lots to like about it with a limitless future. And, of course, great. We look back on the Thunder Westbrook days as sort of a disappointment because they didn't win a title. But the truth is they played great basketball for eight straight years. And not many markets get that. And they were in position to win multiple titles. So that's a great run. Uh, keeping those guys together, uh, that doesn't happen very much anymore in the NBA. So lots to like about that. If if these guys can replicate that and build upon it, do even better, uh, it's going to be a fabulous story. Hey, before we get out of here, Barry, one uh, one final note, uh, arena-related, uh, at least I think it is, new downtown arena-related. Uh, last week, the uh, city of Oklahoma City told Prairie Fire Studios that uh, its lease would be not renewed. It goes through 2025, and they're obviously in the building that was the Myriad, was the Cox Convention Center. That's the piece of land that a lot of us think is where the new arena will go there. Does this just uh, buoy in your mind the idea that's where we're going to get this new downtown arena? I think so. And I think most people believe that's the best place for it. It's been the, it's been the uh, arena site before with the old Myriad, which was a glorious place. Everybody, you know, everybody thought that was a good spot for it. Uh, you've got all the infrastructure surrounding in terms of lots of parking around you got it's close to bricktown it's close to the to the new vibrant uh downtown scene so lots to like about that and the best part is the city owns the land so you know that's uh, a huge savings so uh, i just uh, i that's been the leader in uh, in the clubhouse for a long time and all signs keep pointing to that so uh you can keep playing at the at paycom while across the street they're building the arena uh, and even that's even that's advantageous just because of the thousands and thousands of people going to the game every every night for uh, three or four years can be watching the, yeah. the progression of the construction and get even more excited. So it has all kinds of residual advantages. I think that's probably is the site. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not a, a perfect scenario. I've, I've had city leaders tell me that there are some things infrastructure wise on that uh, plot of land that will have to be worked out. Um, you know, there's a parking garage underneath there. And so it's there's definitely some things that they're going to have to work out if that does end up being the site. But geographically, it makes all the sense in the world, especially if Paycom Center or whatever it ultimately becomes known remains. If you have two arenas or two facilities that could be used as arenas sitting across the street from each other, the chance to potentially have, you know, college conference basketball tournaments there, men and women, uh, different events that, you know, require uh, having that sort of space. Then you've obviously got, uh, you know, the convention center just down the street as well. So all sorts of space that could be utilized in a variety of ways. So I don't know I don't know how quickly some of this will move. It sounds like they're still a ways away and figuring out, you know, unveiling plans and that sort of thing. But I thought last week that news about uh, the Prairie Fire Studios was one more sign. Hey, downtown arena is going to be in the heart of downtown. I think that's going to be really cool 
for uh, Thunder fans, concert goers, all sorts of people that are going to take advantage of that in the uh, in the coming years. Well, hey, that's all the time we've got this week for the Jenny and Barry Show. We'll have all sorts of coverage of early signing day, as well as the Sooners and Cowboys bull prep at selloutcrowd.com. You can check us out there or at barrytrammell.com and jenny-carlson.com. And if this happens to be your first time hearing or watching us, be sure to subscribe to our show on YouTube or your favorite podcast app. If you like what you hear, please leave a review. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.